Hello everyone, welcome to the next episode of the EVC podcast. The EVC podcast is produced by the European Values Center for Security Policy, where we specialize on current security challenges around the world. My name is David Toman, I'm an analyst of the EVC and I will be your host. Today's episode will focus on protection of universities from foreign interference and undue technology transfer. We will discuss this topic with two experts. Our first guest is Professor Koichi Sumikura from the National Graduate Institute for Policy Studies, who focuses on intellectual property policy, science and technology policy, and patent protection. He will be joined by our second guest, David Plashek, who is an analyst of the EVC specializing on China and East Asia, and whom our regular listeners know as the usual host of this EVC podcast series. Gentlemen, thank you both for accepting our invitation, and without further ado, let's get our discussion started. My first question is, What are the experiences from your countries related to the issue of foreign interference on university campuses? Professor Sumikura, may I ask you to start? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, shall I uh, speak? Yeah. Uh, universities are the source of knowledge that is useful for society. Scientific knowledge obtained by basic research at universities are absorbed by private companies used for R&D in the next step and leading to innovation that contributes to society. Here, uh, first I want to express my basic understandings. First, uh, when we talk about dual-use technologies, we should be careful not to suppress basic science too much. Here. Basic science is called as academic research as well. Most of basic science have a lot of application in their long ways towards social implementation. Some of them might be applicable for military technologies in the end. However, if we suppress basic research that has a lot of application, we would miss a lot of scientific achievements and social goods derived from the knowledge. Second, basic science is fundamentally borderless activity based on international collaboration and competition. International collaborative studies are constructed by a lot of researchers or scientific teams that belong to a lot of institutions from different countries. Movements of researchers are also borderless. Naturally, academic researchers move around institutions if they find an adequate place for advancement of their research. Some researchers may think much about salary, and others may emphasize research budgets or environment, such as accessibility to research facility or experienced staffs. From my personal experience, a long time ago, 
I was a PhD course student in the graduate school of the University of Tokyo, measuring molecular biology and bioengineering. In the laboratory I belonged, I made friends with a lot of foreign students, including those from People's Republic of China, PRC. Most of the laboratories of the University of Tokyo, that is one of the top research universities in Japan, have an international research environment that consists of the students and researchers from various countries. In this atmosphere, knowledge is created, shared, and diffused. The term knowledge diffusion seems to have somehow positive sense. However, it can also be displaced by the term knowledge leakage that seems to have negative meaning. If we just consider international communication and friendship on personal base, there is no problem and it should be basically promoted. However, if the person next to ourselves are under control of any government or institution and has a compulsory duty to report what you communicated, things are totally different. Japanese governments spend a lot of tax taxpayers' money on funding for basic research, aiming at new technology and knowledge that contributes to Japanese society and international well-beings. If a part of Japanese budget somehow contributes to military technology of other countries, it is a kind of betrayal to Japanese taxpayers. Here we have a good reason why government has to prevent scientific knowledge applicable for military technologies from being leaked to other countries. That's all for the first section. Thank you very much. And let's move to our second guest, uh, David Plaszek. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I would just also like to emphasize that here in the Czech Republic and in the Central Europe in general, we are in a rather uh, different situation than uh, Japan is because we are truly thinking hard and trying to, to focus on this topic quite recently. And therefore, the first, I would say, task for researchers or people or security experts who try to protect our research and our universities, their first task is to map what is actually going on in the Czech Republic. What are the links between our universities and those from China? So I know that in Japan there is also still space for progress, but in Czech Republic, just because of the fact that we are so far away from China, this, uh, this potential danger was rather neglected for a long time. So what is the situation in the Czech Republic right now? I would uh, take advantage of the fact that our organization, the European uh, Value Center, actually did take a part in a European-wide research on this topic. It's one of the 11 countries uh, the, which was led by our colleagues from the Slovak Center, uh, Center European Institute for Asian Studies. And we conducted the Czech part of this research. And what, what we found out? We found out that here in the Czech Republic we have similar problems with Chinese influence at universities, just like in almost any other Western country. 
we have our share of Confucius Institutes, we have our share of very problematic contracts between our universities and universities from China that are either linked to the Communist Party of China or to its military. And moreover, we during this, this research, we also found out that there are number of contracts between our universities and companies from China. Companies owned by the state, of course, by the default of the Chinese system. So we know that there are technological universities in the Czech Republic that do cooperate with such companies as Huawei or Telhau and others that are known to be linked to government and security forces of the of the uh, communist regime in China. So what I would say about the general situation in our country, it's not surprising, yet it's definitely worrying because for such a small country, we actually found out more than 200 contracts between our universities and China. And out of these 200, it's more than quarter of those links that are with a entity in China that is that is already proven to be part of their military research or is somehow differently linked to its uh, military. So therefore, the situation in Czech Republic definitely is worrying, not surprising. And the question now is, what are we going to do about it uh, in the future? Uh, thank you both for your answers. And so now the question is, how to protect universities from foreign interference, propaganda and censorship? What efficient, which efficient steps and countermeasures have been taken by the governments of your countries? Uh, Professor Sumikura? Yes, uh, in Japan, uh, as a basic uh, legal system, the Foreign Exchange and Foreign Trade Act, that is FEFTA, was established in 1949 and updated several times. Article 1 of FEFTA says that the purpose of this act is to, based on freedom of foreign transactions, such as foreign exchanges and foreign trade, ensure the normal development of foreign transactions and the maintenance of peace and security in Japan or international society by conducting the minimum necessary control or coordination of foreign transactions. And recently, on May 1st, uh, 2022 this year, the amendment of the ministerial order of the compliance standards for exporters, etc., and the clarification of deemed export controls was enforced. According to that, the uh, Ministry of Economy, Trade and Industry, that is METI, uh, METI's sec Security Export Guidance was revised in March this year to reflect the revised regulations and ensure the complete control of sensitive technologies. I talk about uh, more about deemed export controls. According to the guidance, uh, 
outline of the control for transfer of technologies describes multiple forms of transactions and activities of technology transfer that are subject to control. Of these, the control of technology transfer from a resident to a non-resident is referred to as deemed export controls. Under deemed export controls, technology transfer is subject to control even if it takes place in Japan. And from May 1st this year and onward, the deemed export controls will apply not only to transfer of controlled technologies to non-residents, but also to residents if the residents under the significant influence of a non-resident uh, that is referred to as specified categories. Transactions that transfer uh, controlled technologies to such residents will be deemed to be the same as those that transfer technologies to non-residents and will be subject to control. Transactions that transfer controlled technologies to residents will who fall under these specified categories are referred to as specific transactions. Uh, there are three types of specific categories. First category is an employee of a Japanese company who has a side job in a foreign company, or a director or an employee of a Japanese company who is also serve as a director or an employee of a foreign company. And second category is an employee uh, receiving financial support from a foreign government. And third category is an employee who is requested to conduct certain investigations in Japan under the instruction of a foreign government. According to that, recently, in the cooperative research contract between university and industry, private companies tend to request universities to put the clause that members of the project never include those who fall under the specific categories as mentioned. That's all for this category. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much uh, for your remarks, Professor Sumikura. And now David Plaszek will tell us about the situation in the Czech Republic uh, regarding foreign interference, propaganda, censorship, and undue technology transfer. All right, so I would start with this with description of what was done so far. Uh, so I, I told you in, in the previous passage that there definitely are problematic links between Czech and Chinese institutions. So, of course, now even the state administration, the ministries, people, ministries, the people in, um, in, in government already are aware of this problem. So there were already some initiatives of building our protection against uh, these uh, dangers. But of course, uh, we think and the examples from abroad show us that much more has to be done. So what already was done, and we would even praise our government to do that, is that, for example, we are one of the only countries in our region of Europe that actually has its own anti-influence manual that was published by our Ministry of Interior which has also a specific part dedicated 
to the universities. So that's actually very good. There is clear document that describes for people working in the academy how to recognize influence operations, what, is, what are the basic or most common ways to do it, uh, how to protect oneself against these issues, how to be really careful when using uh, databases, how to, in a case that the influence operation already uh, took place, how to announce it, etc., which is a great start and uh, we are happy to have this. But of course, it's just a start. One of the things that we uh, also in our report on, on this uh, problematics, uh, what we recommend there is to simply use examples and use instruments that do exist abroad. So one of the first things that we think uh, in the EVC, one of the first things that the government should try to introduce is a Czech version of law that already exists in the United States for decades. And it's, it is a law that is focusing on transparency of money received, uh, received from abroad. Meaning in the United States there is a, now existing a law called Law of Espionage and uh, Theft in the um, Higher Learning. And this law, among other things, is setting a threshold of 50,000 US dollars as, as a threshold uh, amount that if any gift or any financial financial gift or financial stream from abroad surpasses this uh, this number then it has to be announced to the government it has to be publicly made has to be made publicly available for anyone to see because we think that this is the way how to stop illicit money and illicit influence on the universities from abroad so first thing is just to have idea of where the money comes from for whom um, and in what numbers right so that would be one of the first things another thing of course would be to make the awareness in the academy even higher that means yes we have the a manual that uh, I already talked about but there could be definitely we can definitely use more training right training for the faculty training for students going abroad to simply know what they can expect while living and studying in China that their system is so different and that they can be uh, very uh, uh, realistically approached for example when they study uh, one of the critical industries that they can be theoretically approached by their security agencies there uh, and a third thing that i would definitely like to mention is that we have to start a serious discussion about areas and and, and fields of study in the czech republic that are so critical to our infrastructure or that are of possibly dual use uh, dual use uh, utilization, um, things like uh, weaponry, some parts of chemistry, uh, technologies that can be used for aerospace 
research, etc., etc., that these fields should be excluded uh, for students from China to study when they come uh, to our country. Meaning, we already have lists of fields that cannot be studied for these security reasons by, for example, students from Iran, right? That those are things that pertain to nuclear research and so on. So it would be a very good idea to do similar list of risky fields that cannot be studied by people from China also uh, in this case. At the moment, there are countries in Europe and the world that do have such a, such a list and we think that that is the easiest and most transparent way how to stop our know-how being illicitly obtained by the Chinese and potentially being used for their own military research. So this would be the main three things that I would like to emphasize. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party declared an initiative called the Civil-Military Fusion. This initiative uh, significantly blurred the line between the civilian and the military sphere, which makes even Chinese academia closely interlinked with the military goals of China. Uh, can you put the issue of university interference within the context of civil-military fusion? Uh, I know that David Plaszek is particularly interested in this topic, so I will give you the opportunity to start. Yeah, thank you. So, first thing I want to say is that the issue of uh, military civilian fusion shows how important it, how important are Western universities for Chinese initiatives to obtain illicit know-how from abroad. So, military civilian fusion is an initiative of past years in China that is not, that is, uh, not secret. Uh, it, it's, it was publicly announced. Uh, it was announced by the highest, uh, highest uh, members of the government, of the party, by President Xi himself. And its goal is to transform China into global hegemon when it comes to technologies, right? So, and military civilian fusion, as the name itself implies, basically is trying to blur the lines between military and civilian research, meaning also that it uses civilian universities and their laboratories for military purposes. And this huge initiative is part of the of other plans of the Chinese government uh, that have their particular names. For example, uh, China is planning to be the science and technology world leader by 2050. Uh, another plan is called Made in China 2025, which is another plan that that chooses ten specific fields uh, in which China wants to be completely independent. Uh, on other countries and uh, to be able to produce uh, in, uh, technologies in those 10 fields just domestically. Again, those are fields like aerospace, chemistry, weaponry, etc. Et and because, of course, these are hugely ambitious plans, 
they uh, the normal and and legal way how to get know-how how to produce slow research on their own territory uh, those things are too slow for really fulfilling the goals of these plans so the military civilian fusion is a way how to speed the process up and again they would not be able to do it if they kept military and civilian industry uh, separately so therefore we know that even if we let's say um, have a contract between European University and some Chinese University that is at first sight completely a civilian institution so today we cannot tell for sure just when we see the name or uh, or, we, or when we see the history of the university, that this university actually is not a part of a military research. Because during this period of the military civilian fusion, there is no university in China that can refuse to be part of such a, uh, of such a research uh, for the military. Quite the contrary, actually. Most of them do cooperate uh, very uh, willingly, right? So, and what is extremely important when it comes to universities is that in, in all of these possibilities, how to get Western know-how, how to get our knowledge and technology illicitly, universities are the best way how to do that. Because the, uh, the other ways, like espionage, uh, headhunting, etc., th they are quite complicated and take a lot of time. Take a lot of time. But universities and the huge number of links between Chinese institutions and the Western institutions, they, they allow the Chinese to get to so many research teams all around the world that it's exactly what they need while following uh, these goals and plans that I talked about. So, military civilian fusion is a huge effort and initiative within China, and universities are core part of this initiative. It, it is something, meaning the uh, influence operations uh, at the Western universities, that is uh, being uh, backed by huge amounts of money in China. Entire agencies were created just for this uh, for this purpose, and it is initiative that is overseen by the highest uh, members of the parliament and government. Therefore, it is again I have to repeat important to see that the what we see at Western universities, all these attempts to steal our know-how, it's not something something uh, exceptional. It's not something that happens just in some countries. It's a global effort, organized and backed by resources and by money and by the whole government of uh, China. Uh, thank you for this uh, comprehensive uh, overview. Uh, Professor Sumikura, would you like to add something? Yeah, uh, I agree with uh, what David uh, mentioned and uh, I just add uh, just citing the document of US Department of State 2020 uh, about the basic understanding of uh, current civil military fusion in the uh, People's Republic of China 
military civil fusion or MCF is an aggressive national strategy of the Chinese Communist Party CCP. Its goal is to enable the PRC to develop the most technologically advanced military in the world. As the name suggests, a key part of MCF is the elimination of barriers between China's civilian research and commercial sectors and its military and defense industrial sectors. The CCP is implementing this strategy not just through its own research and development efforts, but also by acquiring and diverting the world's cutting-edge technologies, including through theft, in order to achieve military dominance. Yeah, that's just a citation from U.S. Department of State document. Thank you. Thank you, Professor, as well. <clears throat> and this brings me to my final question. Uh, gentlemen, given all that has been said today, uh, my final question is, if it's actually possible to cooperate with Chinese universities um, at all, uh, Professor uh, Sumikura, uh, you may start again. Uh, first, I uh, talk about the involvement of Japanese researchers in the uh, Thousand Talents Plan, TTP, of People's Republic of China. According to an article in Nature 2018, in 2008, China's central government announced the Thousand Talents Plan, that is a scheme to bring leading Chinese scientists, academics, and entrepreneurs living abroad back to China. In 2011, the scheme grew to encompass younger talent and foreign scientists, and a decade later, a thousand talents plan has attracted more than 7,000 people overall. For Chinese scientists, the scheme has given them a strong financial incentive to return home. For foreigners, it's an opportunity to join the Chinese system with major administrative hurdles removed. Uh, so far, uh, then, what kind of Japanese researchers went for PRC in the scheme of TTP? Here, I cite the, inform the information from a Japanese book entitled Visualized Chinese Unseen Invasion that was published in 2021 by Shincho Shinsho. The special project team of the Yomiuri newspaper authored it. According to it, at least 44 Japanese researchers participated in or were awarded in related with the Thousand Talent Plan until the end of 2020. Uh, most of them are ex-professors of national universities, such as University of Tokyo or Kyoto University. Most of them were invited by Chinese long-time acquaintances, such as past students or collaborators. And most of the interviewed researchers in this book showed their discontent with Japanese science and technology policy. Therefore, at least in case of Japanese researchers, I suppose it is a little bit doubtful whether TTP is working well for PRC's intention of collecting cutting-edge technological knowledge from academia 
because most of the researchers who went to PRC in TTP scheme are already retired and old uh, researchers. Rather, it might be working well for educational purpose of bringing up Chinese scientists in the next generation. And uh, I uh, uh, mentioned about the Integrated Innovation Strategy 2020, uh, published by Council for Science, Technology and Innovation, CSTI, uh, in the Cabinet Office of Japanese Government. It says that in application of research budget, applicants are requested to inform the circumstances of receiving foreign fundings in order to keep clarity and accountability of the research that is funded by Japanese government. We will also investigate on the concrete measures of the framework of cancellation of research budget in case of false assertion. According to that, the application guideline of Kakenhi, uh, that is a funding uh, for basic research in Japan, Hakenhi uh, for 2021 uh, also uh, clarified that the applicants are requested to describe all research funds, including those from other countries. Hakenhi uh, is a big research funding program, and total budget for 2021 is 238 billion yen. That is 1.6 billion dollars, uh, US dollars, by today's exchange rate. So, uh, some people uh, moved to uh, PRC uh, for researcher or educator, uh, and uh, well, the countermeasure uh, in uh, Japanese government is uh, making it's clear uh, what kind of uh, research budget is received by Japanese researchers. That's all. <clears throat> Thank you very much again. And uh, so, uh, uh, David Plashek, what is your take on this uh, interesting question? Yes, it, it's question. One the, yes it, it's one of the most important questions probably uh, within this uh, subtopic. I would say that Okay, simply to answer this question, if the research is, can be conducted safe with a Chinese institutions. In general, yes, definitely, but as all good answers starts, it depends, right? It depends on the field, it depends on the way the cooperation is done, uh, it depends on the contract itself. Uh, it, it depends if the contract is under the European law, or like in some cases of Confucius institutions, Confucius institutes under Chinese law, right? In general, we think that all what we discussed and all the recommendations, all the ways how to progress our protections, meaning new laws, new ways to screen the Chinese universities to look for those connected with a military, raising awareness, etc., etc., that those are actually the ways how to make cooperation with China in the academy possible, right? That means it's, it's a huge country and there always will be fields that are not part of critical infrastructure where research 
is possible and is is probably also necessary and the fact or the 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 fact that we will be able to know what the dangers are makes it more safe for the other fields to be cooperated in in other words yes we 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 have to be aware what what are the chinese universities that we should not cooperate with we should be aware what are the fields where we should not cooperate like again military research chemistry dual use technologies fields and if we know this then maybe a little bit paradoxically we can safely cooperate with them in the other areas right so we don't see this and the research that we also made here in the EVC we don't see it as a way how to say there is no way that a safe or any cooperation with China can be conducted or that all Chinese students are spies or something like that on the other hand if we point out exactly where the dangers are and what can happen if we are not careful thus we reduce the dangerous part and then we will be able to cooperate more in those areas that are safe and that should be also actually advantages for those chinese students who come to europe for example who have no malevolent goals or plans and are here really to just study their field so yes i think it, it is possible to cooperate safely but it has to be uh, it has to be done transparently and under the, all those circumstances and instruments that I described to ma to make it safe and not to become a aid to Chinese military research. Uh, that's a very nice uh, way to wrap things up. Thank you both very much for your insights. Unfortunately, our time is almost up for today. So let me thank again both our guests, Professor Koichi Sumikura and David Plashek for being here with us today and for their intriguing answers. And I wish you both a very nice day. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I would also like to thank our listeners for staying with us until the end. And if you liked today's episode of EVC podcast, or if you are interested in our work in general, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and on our website, europeanvalues.cz. That is all from me today, and I wish you all a pleasant rest of the day.